0: G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost sixty kilograms or one hundred and thirty-two pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and have successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about. What are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle? In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, thanks to those that have been booking in with me for the private one-on-one coaching. It's been very uplifting and it's been so great to help so many people in such a short space of time. If you do want to get some one-on-one coaching and some advice from me, you're just struggling a bit or you might want to get going or you might have a few issues in maintenance, come and have a chat to me. Uh, You can do that in private by going to the website www.thefastinghighway.com, click on coaching, get help and book a time with me. All times you see will be in your local time zone and irrelevant charges there. That's www.thefastinghighway.com to book in for the private one-on-one coaching with me. Okay folks, let's get on with today's podcast. G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast and this is episode 160. And just before I get started today, as usual, a big thank you to all those people out there that listen to the podcast in some 59 countries around the world. Really appreciate you tuning in each week and the numbers of the podcast are going up and up. Uh, we're well through the million downloads now, so thank you so much. Also, today's joining the Fasting Highway Facebook community, the fast-growing Facebook group revolving around intermittent fasting, uh, this podcast and my book, uh, please come and join us there if you want to get some information on how to get started on your own intermittent fasting journey. Uh, if you want to get hold of a copy of my book, you can find that on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle. Uh, If we are in Australia or New Zealand, uh, you can get it direct from the website at www.thefastinghighway.com. Okay, folks, let's get on to today's guest, and I'm thrilled to be speaking with Anne Henley. And Anne lives in South Carolina there in Lake Murray, which is just outside Columbia, the capital. And Anne is married and has a couple of children, and she's had some trials and tribulations with weight in her life, as you'll hear in this podcast, and it was after seeing a photo of herself and seeing a medical report It shocked her into doing something about her health, and particularly her weight, which she started in 2019, and she hasn't looked back since. And here to share her inspiring story today is Anne Henley. Oh, g'day, Anne, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a good pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, the pleasure is all mine, and uh, you're a very inspiring member of our Fasting Highway Facebook community. But for those around the world in some 59 countries listening to the podcast, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of your backstory and your sort of trials and tribulations you've had with weight and health in your life, and what sort of led you to finding intermittent fasting?
1: Okay. Well, I live in South Carolina, in Lake Murray, right outside the capital of Columbia, for starters. I have two grown children. I've been married for 30 years, and we just got a lab puppy over Thanksgiving weekend. So there's my backstory. I found out about it um, probably in April of 2019, I was very unhappy with myself, unhappy with my weight. I think I must've hit what I thought was an all-time high, maybe. I don't know if it truly was, but it was the first time I'd been on a scale in a while. And it was Easter weekend. My children were home and I saw a picture of me that just was hideous. And I immediately came home and, and knew I needed to make a change.
0: Yeah, so that picture sent you into a tailspin. And, and sort of what was it that you discovered about intermittent fasting and what was the pathway with that? How did you actually get to that point?
1: Um, I started actually, and I really, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I actually went on the internet and I was just looking, not necessarily for a fast fix, but just something that I haven't done because I've always been active. I've always been a walker. I've always been a runner. I have a degree in health fitness from Springfield College in Massachusetts, so it's not like I don't know what to do. I think I was just looking for some sort of inspiration when I ran across Jen's website.
0: Yeah, and what sort of appealed to you about intermittent fasting? What was it that struck you that you thought that you would try it?
1: Um, I think what appealed to me was from my background in nutrition and my background in health fitness, it made sense it didn't appear to be a gimmick it appeared to be based on science it appeared to be based on something that was more than a quick weight loss fix more like a health fix like a a body fix
0: yeah yeah that's the thing and you got to have sort of a catalyst to start and that was the photo for you and then when you made some sort of inquiries and you looked at Jin's website, and it was probably like me when I saw all the photos of people and I started thinking, there's got to be something in this. So I delved into it a bit more, looked into a bit of the science, and you know, there's sort of it's pretty compelling some of the evidence there, particularly when you see not just one or two testaments, but you start seeing thousands of them and you think to yourself, well, there's got to be something in it. So why not give it a go? But when was it that you sort of discovered once you started doing it? the difference between the diets that you'd been on in the past and intermittent fasting, what was the differences?
1: Um, I think the immediate difference was I started that Tuesday after Easter. And by that weekend, probably, I felt better physically, like not necessarily weight physically, but energy-wise. I felt lighter, but I knew that was water weight. Um, but mentally, I was clear, and I think because I jumped in like wholeheartedly on a 16 8 plan, and it was easy, it was so easy. Um, that's what just made me think I can do this. I, I mean, I read all about what, what Jen had done. My book had finally come in from Amazon. Um, I did the delay, don't deny book, and it was quick read, it was an easy read. It just made sense.
0: Yeah, it does make sense. So with that protocol of 16 and 8, and so you obviously got the idea of the clean fast straight away, I take it from reading, delay don't deny. But with your eating window and your background there with health and fitness and nutrition and that sort of thing, were you eating all the things in or were you delaying anything?
1: Um, no, I actually I was still eating what Jen said, don't don't deny yourself. Don't don't cut anything out, don't make any drastic changes. The only change that I made because she recommended was the coffee and I I was never like a big flavored coffee, a lot of sugar. It was the cream. It was two percent milk and doesn't seem like a lot, but choking down black coffee for the first four days was probably the hardest thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a quiet taste, black coffee, for sure. I and mean, I'm pretty used to it now. But I've got to say that we don't have to drink black coffee if we don't like it. There's no requirement with intermittent fasting to drink coffee at all. I mean, if you are a coffee drinker and you can't stand it black, then just wait to your window and have it that way you like. And during your yeah. fasting period, just have alternatives such as water or plain sparkling water. But a lot of people sort of get into a tailspin about coffee and they think it's something that's you know, you have to do with intermittent fasting, black coffee in particular. But I just wanted to clarify that you don't have to do that. And just on that point too, about Jin's book about not denying anything, and we know that saying bit bandied around in the community about you can eat whatever you want. But unfortunately for most of us, that's that doesn't ring true because it's simply eating whatever you want got me to three hundred and fifty pounds. And I've had Jin on my podcast twice. And we busted down that myth, and even Gin had to delay certain types of food to get to her health goals and her journey, and she clarified that message about there's eating whatever you want, and then there's eating whatever you want. There's two different sort of angles there, because sometimes you have to eat what you want to get to where you want to be with your health goals, um, and that's the thing. But so you're going along, let's just talk about how much weight do you think you had to lose when you first started, Anne?
1: Um. I think I put, if I remember correctly, I think I put my goal at 50 pounds, which would have made me at 117. When I went back and started looking at my papers to just check and prep for this, I I lost relatively fast. Um, within a month, I lost, within one month, I had lost 24 pounds.
0: Far out, one month. Gee yeah. whiz, that's like six pounds a week. That's incredible.
1: Right? Yeah. And
0: so you obviously got to, pretty shotgun start, if you like, and 24 pounds is, is fantastic. Right. And so did you, have you reached your goal now?
1: I have reached my goal. I reached my goal within six months.
0: Yep. So you've been maintaining since then. And mm-hmm. so let's, for the folks out there, I mean, losing the weight is one thing, and getting the weight off and then keeping it off, are two different entirely things, in my opinion. It's a different mindset maintenance, because once you get the weight off, you then sort of think to yourself, well, how am I going to keep this weight off for the rest of my life? So you've got to have a bit of a plan. You've got to have a bit more flexibility around that. So has your protocol changed at all from when you were losing the weight to now that you're maintaining?
1: Definitely. I I think, and I was talking to my youngest child over Thanksgiving break about being complacent and, and the mindset of it, and we were talking about the meaning of complacency and I think that's what got me into the issue in the first place, was because I had become so complacent, um, probably in my job and in my life, and I rationalized my food choices like "Oh, why have I run my two miles today and I walk three miles at lunch. So it doesn't matter if I have ice cream in addition to my lunch. So after I reached my goal in order to keep myself from going backwards, I actually... Increased my hours or took the eighteen hours as a minimum, like in Jen's book and i I think on some of the social sites they talk about finding your sweet spot, and I think even you mentioned that um and I had to find my sweet spot where where it was, where I could maintain it, and where I could keep it, and I think my sweet spot's probably nineteen to twenty one hours,
0: okay. And so 19 to 21 hours is sort of your maintenance sort of point and that sort of thing. And yeah, I just find I have a, when I'm maintaining now for over three and a half years. So I have what's like, I like to call a goal range. I don't like to Mm -hmm. talk about a goal weight because when people trying to get to maintenance point or they're thinking about it when they start and they think what's the number, they often think of a particular number and they become so singular focused on that number that it almost becomes an obsession. So what I say to people is, look, well, maybe think about a goal range, maybe four to six pounds, depending on how much weight you've got to lose and how big you are. I mean, I'm a big guy, so my range is four to six pounds, right? So if I get up to the top of that range, i just wind things back in a bit, i shorten my sort of eating window, sorry, and then, you know, if I get down to the bottom of that range, I'll extend that eating window, and that's just what I do. So it's almost like you're sort of constantly calibrating that four to six pound range, and so yeah. I like to call maintenance I don't even like to call it maintenance I call it vigilance without obsession that's what I like to call it because I feel like you have to be vigilant without being obsessed but yeah flexibility is important to make it sustainable isn't it
1: Yes it is and it's funny because when I talk to some people about it and they want to know what I do now and I'm like well it's different than when I first started and I I think maybe I've hit like what we call OMAD like the one meal a day Um, by my strict one meal a day, like today, because it's rainy and it's really kind of cold for South Carolina, I opened probably at three o'clock and had to snack and then a meal. But during the week, I don't necessarily do that. During the week, I usually just come home from work, have some sparkling water. I take my vitamins and I eat supper. So it, it varies. And then I usually close it and I go back out for a walk in the evening.
0: Okay, and so basically your romance style during the week is more of a sort of a one plate of day sort of thing rather than the restaurant style where you'd have like a starter, then a main and maybe dessert. So you're more, you get home from work and then you'll just have that one sort of meal uh, as in one plate, is that right? And then on the weekends, you might be more flexible with that. Yes, sir. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's great. So we talk about appetite correction, Anne. um, I don't know what your appetite was like before all this, and you might be able to tell us about that. But did you find your appetite got corrected? I mean, after that first month losing 24 pounds, you must have noticed a bit of a difference with your appetite.
1: I did notice a difference and it wasn't so much the amount of food. Um, I was more along the lines of the people that the type of food, like as much as I, and my weakness has always been ice cream. I love ice cream, but I didn't crave it. And it wasn't something that I absolutely had to have. Before that, every night after supper, I would have, you know, my bowl of ice cream. But I don't necessarily have to have it now. And I don't necessarily go out of my way to get it. So I crave more of, um, I listen more to my body as far as nutrition. And I eat better. I think my body, I listen to more like, and my, I've never been a big red meat eater. But about once a month. I'll crave, you know, a steak, but I don't ever go out and order a steak from a restaurant. I only did it at home.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty expensive, too, when you go out, isn't it, to eat a steak? Yeah. That's for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. Here in Australia, we pay $45, 50 for a good steak now in just a pub. And you sort of think, wow, mm-hmm. you know, you can buy a pretty decent steak for that and cook it yourself. But, yeah, it's nice to go out, too, of course. But, yeah, so on the weekends, Nat, do you do anything differently to during the week?
1: Um, it, it depends. Here in South Carolina, we do in the summer because it's warmer and we live on the lake. So we're out in the boat. I will will say, just like Jen said, the cocktails um, is a hard thing, you know, in the summer with the, with the drinking and everything. And I found my very first summer very difficult. And we talk, like you asked about, were there any health issues? My first summer of 19, like July of 19... I followed the regimen so strictly, and it was so hot that summer, I ended up accidentally dehydrating myself and ending up in the emergency room and receiving two bags of fluids. So for anybody that was talking about, listen to your body, was I guess was what I learned from that. And I took a week or two off um, and ate normal of what I could tolerate to get back on track. So you really, I mean, it's, it's different for every person. But I think the cocktail thing, if you ask about the one thing that I really have to be careful with, cocktails are it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's an important message about hydration. Uh, I want to make stress that. Make sure you have enough water of Uh Obviously, right. you're not drinking alcohol during your fast. But yeah, very, very important that we have enough water and hydration and take on some Himalayan salt if you need it. Um, that sort of right. thing, but yeah. And so let's talk about that. When you went to the emergency room, when you had that sort of uh, episode, if you like, did mm-hmm. you mention to them that you do you do intermittent fasting? Did they say to any, you do anything about it?
1: They did. They did ask me about that. One of the nurses was okay with it. The little, I don't know if he was a true doctor or if he was just like a like a tech. He was not real happy with me. And he's like, you know, you could, you know, it could have been more serious. You could have done some damage. And I was like, I understand that. He's like, well, you should have eaten, you know, and it was kind of that battle of he knows better. And then he's like, well, you can't, you can't keep doing this. But then after he left, the nurse actually asked me the name of the book that I was using and more about the program. So um, it was, a, I mean, it was a double-edged sword there.
0: I guess it is, but you know, I think those sorts of things sometimes scare us as well. And did it sort of dent your confidence at all about fasting? Or did you just know that you hadn't enough water and that sort of thing on that day?
1: At first, it scared me because I really going into the ER, when I went in there that day with my husband, I didn't know I was dehydrated. I thought I had some sort of stomach bug because I was in so much pain. I'd never been dehydrated to the point to where I was like, my stomach really, really hurt and I was doubled over. Um, and it took them a while to figure out that it was dehydration because I kept telling them, I'm like, my stomach hurts. I wasn't sick. I was kind of nauseous, but I wasn't like sick, sick, but I knew there was something wrong. And um, yeah. we were there probably an hour before they offered me any fluids. But And it took the second bag of fluid actually to feel better.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you got through that. That's fantastic. But Let's talk about, you mentioned there a couple of struggles and that that sort of thing. I mean, obviously, intermittent fasting in the sense of it's easy in terms of you're fasting and you're feasting. So it's not hard to work out how it works in those terms. But as we know, the mental aspect's very different in trying to implement a whole new way of how we eat, rewiring what we do, whole way we intake our food can sometimes be difficult. So was there any struggles throughout this period? I mean, obviously, dropping that 24 pounds, you probably thought, wow, this is the greatest thing ever in the first month. But did you actually have any struggles through your whole journey up to now?
1: Mentally, maybe I did because I didn't, I didn't, my husband just walked through, so I don't want to bash bashing, but I didn't have a whole lot of family support. Um, I think my daughter had just moved home from graduate school. My husband was here and they were not on board. They're still not on board. I still am the only one in this house that does it. So I think mentally my struggle was trying to make sure that I could do it for myself and cause that's why I knew I was doing it for was for me. But I did it so that I my one meal would be in the evening because I think it's always been important that we eat together as a family. But their big thing was, did would you eat today? Did you have enough to eat? Did you, you know, and it was like I almost felt like Sometimes I was being attacked because they didn't really understand what I was trying to do. Um, I would say that was probably the biggest struggle.
0: Yeah, they just love you and they're trying to look after you and look out for you. And sometimes people's love can be misguided and that sort of thing. And I think we're all taught, you know, you've got to eat this many times a day. Breakfast is the most important time of the day. And everybody was brought up like that, you know, and well, most people were and so i was and you know you always thought well if you didn't eat breakfast somehow you were going to faint when you went to work because you didn't eat breakfast but you know typical example yesterday i got up out of bed and what was what i love about it On the weekend i can just get straight up go outside and start working in the yard we live on a horse acreage property here so there's always stuff to do you know so my wife Mm -hmm. and i we got up yesterday we did uh probably six hours of gardening fully fasted um energy was great felt good, you know, didn't have to run in the house and stop for breakfast and get snacks, just kept drinking water, made sure I was hydrated. It was quite a warm day. But I just find the energy you get from fasting is amazing and I think sometimes people think, you know, you've got to keep eating and if they see you not eating and they get a bit worried about it or they might think, you know, something's happening to you, but you know, you look a picture of health to me. So, they shouldn't have be been too worried about you and and I just think that love is there that they sometimes people just you know, slightly get it wrong about, you know, we've got to do us for us. That's the that's the bottom line.
1: Right. And I agree with that. And that's why I had to learn. And like recently I said something to my husband. It's funny you said that because I said, oh, maybe it was after my daughter's wedding. And I said something about, well, you never said anything about how I looked in my dress or how well I've done maintaining for three years. And he said exactly that. You didn't do it for me. You did it for you. And I was like, I know, but it'd be nice just one time to hear you say, hey, you've done well, or I'm, I'm happy that you've done, or I'm impressed that you lasted or something, you know. Um, but since that time, I've had one or two people that I know here locally that have started it. And then I also have somebody who reached out that found me in one of the social places that said, I didn't realize you had been doing this. So it's kind of fun as you go along, and the longer you do it, finding out more and more people are doing it, whether they're friends or they're acquaintances. And it's fun because you're always still learning about it. I mean, it's just like nutrition. There's always something still to learn.
0: Yeah, I am going to talk about that for a sec. Um, the degree you, you did there in health and fitness at the university and all that sort of thing. So Just tell us about that in the background. And when you were doing that, was there ever any mention, or I guess there probably wasn't, about intermittent fasting?
1: Um, I won't tell you what year I graduated, but it was quite a long time. I have a 26-year-old, so we'll put that into perspective. And it was health fitness and it was nutrition in Springfield, Massachusetts. That college is known for basketball, for the Naismith. So it was all centered around spirit, mind, and, and body, I think was what our logo was. And no it's funny because we never, you didn't talk about intermittent fasting. I think it was more about just the opposite. It was all about um, making sure you eat so many different meals and making sure you carb load and making sure you eat enough protein and instead of the other way around. Um, And so no, so it wasn't anything about intermittent fasting back then.
0: So if you were designing a course now for nutritionists and health experts and that sort of thing, like, you know, there's been a big gap since you did your own sort of degree there. Sort of, you know, apart from intermittent fasting, I mean, it seems to me I've talked to a really good nutritionist on this podcast and Shana Hassan, and and she went against the mainstream set up and said, hey, you guys are teaching us all wrong. You're not teaching us the right things here to tell people, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, you talk about nutrition and I was in a hospital, in a private hospital, right? And they brought around this tray of food and I looked at it and instantly I was able to add up the amount of sugar on that tray. It mm. was 30 teaspoons of sugar on that tray combined with the orange juice and the food and everything else that was on it. And I was thinking to myself, if they bring three of these around a day, they are giving people in in hospital 90 teaspoons of sugar a day. The World Health Organization recommends eight for men, six for women. So that's kind of, kind of crazy to me if our nutritionists and our hospitals are giving people food like that. And isn't that frustrating?
1: It's very frustrating. And it's funny because when I graduated from college in Massachusetts, I was I moved back down here to South Carolina and had a very hard time finding a job that paid in it like a living wage because the program in this state was not accredited yet. And this state of South Carolina is, I mean, I'm not bashing it, but it's never been high on the prevention. It's always been about let's treat you first. It's never been about let's prevent it first or let's teach you first how to do something. Let's teach you about nutrition. Let's teach you how to eat. Let's teach you how to grocery shop. Let's teach you how to fill your plate, let's teach you how to hydrate, let's teach you how to exercise. It was all about treating, like the state of South Carolina and and the Southeastern of the United States is notorious for diabetics, it's notorious for cardiac places, it's notorious for just different, it's notorious for obesity. And it's a shame in this day and age.
0: Yeah, it is. And I just hope that in our teaching institutions that the wheel turns and somehow, you know, the the way they teach nutrition to our nutritionists and that sort of thing that are coming out of our universities, and at least there can be some discussion about things like intermittent fasting as an obesity control. In fact, I'm I'm working with the University of Western Australia here in Perth. Um, They're putting a paper together about using intermittent fasting as an obesity control and try and get it into the medical mainstream. So we're interviewing stakeholders, we're interviewing people that do intermittent fasting, uh, we're interviewing everybody that's involved with it, scientific people, everything, and then putting it all together and then submitting a, a paper to the Australian Medical Journal Um sort of submission. So, yeah, I mean, that's really exciting. And, um, you know, hopefully it's a small sort of step in the right direction, but at least it's been discussed now. That's the thing. It's in the conversation. And I know there's more and more doctors that are getting on board with intermittent fasting. My own doctor is. All the doctors in their medical practice now talk about it um, because, you know, weight loss surgery is a pretty heavy thing for, you know, excuse the pun, for people that are very overweight. And, I never considered weight loss surgery because I didn't like the idea of being cut open and all that sort of stuff. And I'd seen people that had it and they had many, many problems. So let's hope that they they do get it into the system.
1: Yes, I I totally agree with you. And that sounds very exciting. That just, I mean, that just excites me. And I'm, you know, I wish they would do something like that here. Um, weight loss surgery, like you said, does scare me. Um, Elective surgery scares me. So I, I get that. And and the risks, I think, I think it's everybody wants a quick fix and everybody wants instant gratification. And that's just and that's not what this is. This this really is not what this is. Just like you and Jen always say, it's more about um your health with what I think is like the side of weight loss. It's all about healing yourself. I think it's all about learning about yourself and it's all about how everybody says it's a study of one. You have to do it for yourself. You have to figure it out for yourself. Anybody that's listening to this needs to just do, do it for them. But I think the inspiration comes from the pictures and the stories and the wonderful moderators from both of these groups that, you know, we're parts of, um, And ask questions and be active and listen to the podcasts and read the books. Like I read, even though it was a very, very hard read, even with a nutrition and a health fitness background, the obesity code I read, it took me a long time. I won't lie to you. I had to read a lot of it twice. But read these things. It's a really interesting, eye-opening read.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, The obesity code, I always say to people, look, you want to break down the science, get hold of the obesity code, but get the audible version because the written version is quite intense and hard to take in and and hard to understand. Like you said, it can be very overwhelming, even for a person with a a background like yours. So I always say to people, listen to the audio book of the obesity code. Then if you want to get a sort of overview of intermittent fasting, if you like, then maybe look at this Jin's books, uh, Delay, Don't Deny, Fast Feast Repeat. And then if you want a personal relatable story of somebody that's actually done it, maybe look at something like my book, The Fasting Highway, just a guy that was 350 pounds and you know, and he's lived the highs and lows of sugar addiction, fast food addiction. So that's more of a personal story. So that's three books that might get you going. Um, if you're also a person that's had a lot of problems with sugar, you might want to watch some documentaries like That Sugar Film. Uh, by an Australian uh, filmmaker called Damon Garneau. Absolute eye-opener, Anne, about sugar. And it struck me. It nearly blew me off my chair because I realized after watching that documentary what my problem was with sugar and what sugar was doing to my body. Have you ever had any problems with sugar yourself?
1: Um, Not necessarily like sugar, like diabetic issues, but do I crave sugar? Sure. Do I know that's probably a trouble spot for me? It can be. Like I... I can find my, I've never been like a really big emotional eater. Like some people say, you know, they just can sit down and binge eat, I don't know, a bag of something. No, but I will grab probably one or two more than I should. So yes, I I do my share of sugar eating.
0: Yeah. And I think that's okay. There's a big difference between addiction and moderation. I mean, you know, and some people are able to do that and it's great, but For anybody that's had problems with sugar, I think intermittent fasting is something I say to people, look, overcome your problems with sugar first and then start intermittent fasting because trying to do the two at the same time is really difficult. But then also, I also wanted to talk to you about going on vacation. I mean, you're an experienced intermittent faster now. And a lot of people are out there sitting there going, well, hey, what do I do when I go on the holidays? The holidays are coming up. I'm going to all these people's places. I'm going away on holiday. What am I going to do? Have you got any words of wisdom about that?
1: You have to do your first one. Your first one's always scary. Like we are notorious for even though we live in a warmer climate, we go to the beach every year for a week. Um, and that was the hardest part for me because I, like I said, the cocktails. But I sat in the sun all day, did my swimming, did everything. And I found that I tried my best to stick to my um, schedule. And at that point, I was still very strict into it. I was still at the 18 and you know, and I was just very, very strict with myself. Um, and my kids are like, Mom, we're on vacation, you need to just let it go. But I came home and hadn't gained anything. I was just so excited. Um, when my kids are home, now I will say you want to talk about how hard it is, like not necessarily vacation, like you know, you go away somewhere. Vacation when my kids come home for like Christmas or um Thanksgiving or um i don't know spring break i find i find that harder than i do to go away on vacation
0: yeah it is because i guess they're bringing all different types of food and you know food and families get togethers it's a big celebration isn't it people wake up in the morning they like to have a big breakfast together and then you know sort of the snacks come out and then you know you go and sit out by the pool or whatever you're doing and you know it's before you know it's afternoon tea then it's dinner time and then it's you know, something after that before you go to bed. So yeah, it's it's a fellowship thing, isn't it? But you know, I say to people about vacations, particularly this time of year uh, coming into the Christmas period, I try to make it more about the company rather than the food. So my focus is on the people that I'm going to be around. Like in your case, it'd be your family. In my case, it's my family, uh, my friends, people that I'm going to see that I really look forward to that I only see once a year, maybe some of them. So yeah, I think you've got to put the focus away from food because in previous years when I was an obese guy, I only used to think about the food. I thought, what sort of food have we got? Open the fridge. What's my wife cooking? You know, what sort of desserts am I going to have? You know, how much beer have I got? You know, have I got enough crayfish and lobster and all that? And that's all I used to think about. But now it's more about, okay, it's really good. I'm going to catch up with that person. I'm going to talk to them about their life and what they've been doing and, you know, just distract myself from all that. But, you know, still enjoy myself and you know, it's got to be flexible and life is to be lived, but you can still do it without being consumed by food all day.
1: That is so true. And it's funny because you use the word distraction and somebody asked me when I first started, um, when you got to the point to like 18 hours and you were starting to get hungry, but you weren't home yet, what did you do for a distraction and I used to get up and go to um, the water cooler where it was really cool and just guzzle a glass of water to try and fill myself up. Or I'd go walk around the office a couple of times, anything for a distraction, just so I wouldn't eat something or I wouldn't cave. So, yeah, I think that's another point that you need to, that you brought up that's important is you've got to find a distraction for yourself, whether it be walking, whether it be reading, whether it be, I don't know, knitting, whether it be you know, some sort of hobby. Like my new hobby is going to be walking my lab. So, I mean, you've got to find something for yourself.
0: Yeah, you do. And I mean, let's face it, distractions are easy to find. I mean, you can phone a friend, you can go out, wash the car, walk the dog, weed the garden, mow the lawn. There's so many things you can do. I mean, obviously some people live in climates and the weather is, you know, they're inbound in the house and that sort of thing. They can put on YouTube, they can look for some exercise, 10 minute videos, they can do that but you can still talk to people online. You know, you can have a look around the Facebook groups and the fasting groups to keep yourself motivated and that sort of thing during your fast. But yeah, I think distraction is important. And I think that's why the clean fast is so important, and because with the clean fast, we find that our fasting is a lot easier. And people at Dirty Fast, they actually really struggle sometimes because they think food's coming after they have some cream in their coffee or something like that. And then all of a sudden they get super, super hungry, and they start clock watching, and before you know it, they're breaking their fast early every day because they can't get through it. So I'm really glad that you started off with that clean fast right from the go. Get and and did you get that? Did you get that from Jen's book, or did you? How did you get? That? I
1: did, I did. I got that from Jen. Um, and I do remember standing at the kitchen sink and my husband standing there next to me, going, "Is it really worth this?" Because I mean, I've always been a coffee drinker. My mother was a big coffee drinker, so it wasn't like it was something I could give up. And it's really me in the morning, it's caffeine. I've had to have the caffeine. It's not necessarily like a soda. It's gotta be the coffee, but it was just, and I did the Himalayan salt for a long time to take the bitter out. But I will say for anybody listening, um, you know, be careful with the salt because I found that, um, when I went and did my physical, I think in the first year, I'd never had a problem with blood pressure. And he asked me what change I had made. And I found that because I was doing it with all my coffee throughout the day, putting salt in it, it actually threw my blood pressure up. So I had to kind of wean myself off of that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So let's talk about non-scale victories and the health benefits. You said it before, intermittent fasting isn't a silver bullet. It's not a quick fix. You know, A lot of people think they just want to come to intermittent fasting and all the weight's going to fall off them in five minutes. And some people have fast starts like you did. Some people have slower starts. And I think the average weight loss, from what I can see, is around half a pound or a pound a week. So you, when people say that they're a slow loser and they've only lost three pounds in a month, well, you know, in a year, you've lost 36 pounds. You know, mm-hmm. in a couple of years, you have probably lost 50 pounds. And if you're doing this for a lifestyle and not a quick fix, then it doesn't matter how fast that you lose the weight. You know, just treat it as a lifestyle and not a diet. So let's talk about the non-scale victories there, the health benefits, anything come for you with intermittent fasting from that side of things?
1: Um, Yeah, I had struggled with carpal tunnel most of my life um, after I had, I think maybe it started when I was pregnant with my first one. Um, And right up until the middle of my first full year of fasting, I still had it and I had a really bad trigger finger. But as soon as I continued fasting, and and I, had ever, I think I'd already met my goal, but the inflammation was still coming down, and the and the um, and the water weight, I guess, was still fluctuating. So it took a while before I noticed and realized that I no longer needed the hydrocortisone shots, and I went ahead and canceled. I was supposed to be scheduled for carpal tunnel surgery, and then COVID hit, so it got rescheduled twice. And then after that, I realized, you know, I was able to go have surgery. They contacted me and I said, oh, I don't think I need it anymore. I don't, I, it doesn't bother me. And she's like, really? And I said, I think it must be from the fasting because I really, it doesn't hurt. Um, and then I always had a problem with my hip because from my running, I have osteopenia. So um, I've noticed a change in that when the weight came off and the inflammation came off that my hip does not hurt nearly as bad.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. People with hip injuries and arthritis and that sort of thing. And I know I had arthritic fingers. Um, I used to wake up in the morning. I could hardly open my hands for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after about six months of intermittent fasting, that completely went away mm-hmm. and it was crazy. And then, you know, all these things happened, these crazy things happen. Like, you know, my vision started getting better yeah. Um, which I found the most amazing thing. My psoriasis fell off my body, just completely went after six months. I was told I'd never get rid of it. So all these things start adding up, don't they? So it's not just about the weight loss, but obviously some of those things do come from losing the weight, like getting that weight off your hip, for instance. Um, but yeah, I know I've got a dodgy hip myself with osteoarthritis, and you know I know that's helped immensely getting the weight off, and it's probably extended you know the life of that hip for a few years, I would say. But you know, one of the things I love about fasting is that for aging and longevity and that sort of thing, like when I was an obese guy, I thought I was going to be dead by 60, right? Coming up 60 mm-hmm. in a couple of months. So I thought I was certainly not going to live past 60, but now I feel I'm going to live to well into my 80s, 90s, no problem at all. And I think we get that confidence, don't we? Because we feel so great. And we've got the tools with IF to keep us in that maintaining lifestyle now and I think it's for people of any age, and I want to get that message out, Andy, you could sort of reiterate on that that you're never too old to start a?
1: No, um I started at the age of I think fifty three. so and I the one regret I have is I didn't find it early enough. I mean, I wish I'd found it much earlier. Um, because you know, I mean, like you said, it you just feel so much better. I feel like I did when my kids were little and you had the energy because both my kids have always, our house has always been active. They played ball, they played um, volleyball, they played baseball. We've played basketball. We've the kids have played tennis. So there's always the traveling. So um, it was always, it was always about, you know, feeling better. And I started at 53 and I'm now 56 soon to be 57. And you talk about, you know, like you thought you were going to be dead I lost my mother to pancreatic cancer, and I think she was 67, if I remember correctly. She might have been 68. But I said that to my husband recently. I said, you know, one of the other reasons I want to continue this is because while we do or don't know whether or not it's genetic, we do know that our, our health choices, our nutrition choices, our lifestyles play a big role in cancer prevention and cancer treatment and cancer diagnoses. And, you know, after having been through that with my mother and, and seeing it, you know, I, I don't wish to do that.
0: Yeah, an important message. And I think also, you know, we concentrate a lot on the outsides, don't we? Like, you know, how we look, you know, the weight we carry, you know, what we want to look like, all of that. But we've also got to understand what's going on on the insides, so it's very important to get regular health checks to be able to maintain it. And I encourage anybody that starts intermittent fasting, perhaps when you start, go to see your doctor, tell them what you're doing, um, and then ask for some tests, blood work, that sort of thing. And then maybe go back every six or 12 months or, or however sort of long they suggest and get checked in because sometimes we can pick these things up early that you're talking about. But I certainly have confidence with intermittent fasting, and I think when I look at people, and, and like you just said, you're, you don't look at anything like fifty-three, and it's like or fifty-six, and you sort of think to yourself, "Wow, this is amazing!" And people's skin always jumps out on me on the screen. How amazing their skin is, and the brightness in their eyes, and all that sort of thing. And that's what I always look at intermittent fasters that have been doing it for a period of time. So now, this sort of three years or so that you've been doing this, um, and I mean, you lost that twenty-four pounds initially in the first month. What's what, what was the total weight loss over those uh, that time?
1: Um, so now I'm down to 107. So I've maintained somewhere between a 55 to a 60 pound weight loss since like the first six months. Um, and like you said, it fluctuates. It sometimes we just um, in October my oldest got married. So this is a kind of a funny story. You won't be able to relate, but all the women will be able to relate. I took the mother of the bride dress to be altered. And instead of them doing it as I asked, she altered it more than what it was supposed to be. And my husband's like, well, just take it back and get her to fix it. Well, you know, I was like, yeah, no, that's okay. So everybody at work was concerned. They're like, what are you going to do? I said, well, I guess I'm just going to do an extended fast that week and make it work. Um, and I did. It did work. Would I recommend it again? probably not. I'm not an extended fast person. I get really kind of grumpy. Um anything over th- like 30 hours, I'm really not good at.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me neither. I'm a person that likes to eat once a day. I'm not a person that likes to do extended fasting. I've never fasted past 36 hours and that was only by pure accident. I got home late one night and I just couldn't be bothered eating. I was so tired. And I just went to bed. And, um, but yeah, I, I like my food once a day and I'm not a person that's done extended fasting, certainly not against it. And I understand the science of why people do it with ADF and that sort of thing, trying to break, break plateaus or, or mm-hmm. reasons or trying to tidy up some loose skin, that type of thing. But, you know, obviously you mentioned the mother of the bride dress and all that. And I mean, you know, the amount of weight you've lost is you must have dropped a few sizes and clothes shopping must be such a joy for you now.
1: Um, clothes shopping, unfortunately is a joy for me. I kept a lot of my old clothes, so I'm still in them. Um, my big thing that I love to do that, you know, is so funny is I love to go to Goodwill. I don't know why, but I love a good thrift shop. Um, and my husband had a Christmas party this past weekend. So of course, you know, I'm in this dress and this girl asked me, where'd you get that dress? And I was like, goodwill and she's like no really and I was like yeah goodwill um yeah so I probably have two two closets of clothes now that I didn't have before that I probably need to weed out not because they don't fit but because I probably have too many um would I tell my husband that no Mm -mm.
0: yeah yeah it's um what I love about it is like the shirt I got on for instance you see me wearing I just went and put it on. It's been in my wardrobe. I bought it three years ago. And so for three seasons now or three years, it fits me exactly the same as what it did three years ago. And that's what I love about IF and the maintaining side of it, that you can maintain and arrange. And I think you also get so used to fasting in the way you feel. You never want to lose that. Like I couldn't think of anything worse than going back to eating three meals and snacks a day again. I just couldn't. And I mean, some people say, wouldn't you love to do that? Wouldn't you just love to go and do that again? And I say, well, no, not really, because I love the way I feel. I've never felt this good in my life. I feel better now at 59 than I did when I was 29. And so, why would I want to reverse that? And um, all for the sake of food. And, you know, I was so far away from happy all because of food for four decades, 40 years of my life. It made me as obese as I was. And so now I have this feeling of freedom why am I going to give that up? I mean, that's what I say to people. Like When you're getting to the point of losing the weight and then you realize that you've got to maintain it, then you have to get into the mindset of, I need this to be flexible. I need it to be sustainable mm-hmm. because it's for life. Mm-hmm. So if you do have an event or on a vacation or something like that, or you get invited to a wedding like your daughter's wedding, or well, sometimes you've got to let your hair down a little bit and, mm-hmm. and flex and that sort of thing and move your windows around. So some advice on that end.
1: The Christmas party this past week, I really wasn't sure when we were going to eat, but I was kind of hungry. And I knew I was going to be probably having a cocktail or two. So I probably opened my window an hour before I normally would. Um, And I really wasn't too concerned about that. But I knew, like I said, with the alcohol and not eating, you know, if you don't eat a meal and, you know, I mean, so I knew there were some things I had to take care of. And I think I probably closed... Like, I still use an app. A lot of people, after I've watched all this, don't still use apps. I don't think I'm disciplined enough to not use an app yet. Or maybe I never will be. Maybe it's just my structure in my life. So, you know, my app on my phone went off and said, time to set your fasting thing. Well, we were still eating. So I wasn't really concerned about that because I knew that the following day, um, which would have been Saturday, I would I could just extend it for a little bit longer. And I was home and it was the weekend. So like you said, it's gotta it's gotta fit your lifestyle, not somebody else's lifestyle. It's gotta fit your lifestyle, it's gotta fit what you're doing for yourself. Um, but like you said in the freedom, you and you don't have to give up anything. Um, you don't have to give up going out, you don't have to give up um vacations you don't have to give up like the weekend of the wedding I wasn't really concerned about the fact that there's going to be unlimited hors d'oeuvres or unlimited snacks or because I didn't need to eat it while the girls ate getting dressed but if I wanted it it was there and then I just jumped right back into it when we got home late Sunday um, so it's it's truly I think if you stick with it long enough it truly becomes a lifestyle. And it's something that you, like you said, you're going to want to do for the rest of your life because you do feel well enough physically, mentally, and it impacts, you know, everybody around you. If you feel good, the people around you feel good.
0: Yeah. I think it's just taking that like we talked about before, the focus away from food. Like you enjoyed the pre-wedding thing with your daughter and her friends and that sort of thing. And there were snacks and hors d'oeuvres and champagne there and all of that. And if you wanted it, it was there. But if you if you didn't want it, well, that was okay because that was a choice that you made at the time. And I think we all live by our choices. And that's the thing. You either decide to, okay, well, today I'm not going to worry about it and tomorrow's a you day. But when it becomes You'd start doing that every day, it becomes a slippery slope. So, you've got to pick your moments like that time with Mm -hmm. your daughter, special time, Mm -hmm. special day. That's what I say to people. Like, we hear the saying, Saturday's not a special occasion. Well, for me, it is because that's the time I get to spend with my wife. It's the time I get to spend with my family. It's the time I'm not working. I don't have to think about work. I can just relax. I can, you know, sit on the couch and watch a game of rugby if I want. So it's really special to me. So yeah, when people say that, i sort of say, well, actually, it is a special time. You go and watch your children play sport. There's so many things that happen, but it doesn't have to revolve around food. You just make it about the occasion or the people that you're with. And I think that's a really important thing. I want to talk about exercise for a minute. You mentioned there that you want to you know, sort of take up walking your lab and all that sort of thing. And you mentioned after your meal that you like to go for a stroll. Just tell us about that, because I want to talk a to bit you about that. Um-
1: I've always exercised, obviously, because, you know, I mean, that's what our college was about. But I've always been um, active, like I myself, just like my kids, I was active in grade school, high school. I didn't I wasn't good enough to play in college, like, you know, like um, on their structured team. I did intramurals, but I've always been a walker or a runner. Um, I'm not that great of a runner, like I'm not speed. I do it for myself. I'm a very slow, slow runner, but I'm more of an endurance, like cross-country. Um, it's not really pretty. My stride's not pretty and my form's not pretty, but I do it for me. So um, I don't know if any of our listeners have do you remember like the Nordic Track ski machines, like the cross-country ski machines, but I exercise in the morning and have for most of my life. So I get up in the morning... Um, Somewhere between 4.30 and 5.00, my alarm goes off, depending on how many times I hit snooze. And I do my 30 minutes in the morning. Um, and I've always walked at lunch. I have a I have a good friend that walks with me. Um, and we get in about three miles in my lunchtime. Now, before fasting, I will tell you that I used to then immediately almost run back to my office, starve, famished, and had to eat. Now... I go back to my office and then depending on the weather, I'll have a cup of coffee if it's cold or I will have um, my sparkling water as my treat, you know, cause I like the bubbles. Um, and then when I get home in the night, my walk at night after supper isn't really about exercise really. Um, it's more of a stress thing and it's a mental thing. So um, it's kind of the way I, I wind down my day. Um, but I think you have to, I think you have to find an outlet, whether it be walking, running, you know, something for yourself. You have to have some gardening. Um, I have a garden in the summertime, obviously, you know, in South Carolina, it's so hot, you you know, I mean, you have to. Um, but you have to find something for that kind of activity. I think it's very important that you stay active.
0: Yeah. Keep the wheels moving, as they say. But I also think, you know, it's interesting, the Italians, they call it promenading. When they have their evening meal in the summer, you'll see them promenading, walking. They're just strolling, just slow stroll. You know, and as we know, there's quite a bit of evidence that you can keep your insulin quite low after eating a meal by just simply going out for a 10-minute stroll. Or if the weather's not permitting, just get up, like I said, put YouTube on find some exercise short videos. but Just do something, do some body squats or some movement. Something after your meal, just for ten minutes. And you'll find that you'll keep your insulin lower than what it would when it's spiking when you're eating that food. So if you're trying to lose some weight, it might be an extra thing you can add to your toolbox just to try it, because I tried it and it was really good. And I still do it now. I'll just go for a stroll around the street. slow. You know, obviously you just had a big meal, so you're not gonna go around running or, you know, doing a heavy, strenuous work. But yeah, just a nice stroll and I think that's pretty important to keep the wheels moving and you know, keep our minds active as well. Um, you know, stay engaged in Facebook groups and that sort of thing and just look at things, read things and just keep that mind ticking over. But speaking of which, support networks, you talked about it before about your family and that not being quite on board and all that sort of thing. But apart from that, how did you get your support from mainly Facebook groups, social media?
1: I think so. From Facebook groups, from Jen's group. And then when, you know, of course she changed and now she's on that other with the circle or whatever. I switched over there. I follow your group. I follow the group, um, delay, whatever for the older people. Cause I found like I couldn't, re- I couldn't really really relate to the younger crowd. I don't, I mean, I don't consider myself old, but I couldn't, I don't know. So I kind of stuck with the ones I think it was 55 or older. Um, so, yeah, I, and then I could just continue to read things that I could find articles on it. And um, my motivation, like I think when everybody says you have to find your why or you have to find your motivation, this might sound kind of vain. But the screensaver, maybe it's not the screensaver, but it's the wallpaper on my phone is the picture that started it all.
0: You know, some people put those photos on their fridge, don't they? You go to people's houses and you always see the the chubby photos of themselves on their fridge. So they're thinking it's going to stop them opening the fridge door. Well, hey, I tried that and I'm here to tell you it doesn't work <laughs> because you still open the fridge door and often you have the wrong food in there. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good idea. But I love that one about looking at the phone every time you look at it, yeah. you remind yourself. And I do that too. Like once a week, I reflect. Like on a Sunday, I reflect. I reflect about my journey. How was the past week? Where have I come from? and I'll flick through a couple of photos like that. That's why I love the face-to-face Friday for it, because you're mm-hmm. able to, to keep that interaction, and you see all these people that have transformed, and then other people see that, and it spurs them on to do it. I mean, you know, over the last two years, I've received hundreds of messages from people all around the world that have read my book, you know, thousands of copies sold on Amazon and that sort of thing, and, and just every corner of the globe, and I never thought that would happen, but it did and you just think to yourself, what sort of reach it has when you start talking about it and you start sharing your story and people see pictures of you and they get motivated and listen to your podcast and all that sort of thing. I had a, um, a woman in Norway contact me and she said that they were having a coffee club meeting in Norway and now were are having a, a book club uh, talk about my book. And would I join in on a Zoom conversation in Norway? And I was like, wow, OK, well, let's, you know, it's kind of a crazy sort of thought, but let's do it. So I did it. And um, I just thought to myself afterwards, well, I just talked to some people in Norway about my book and intermittent fasting. And you get to know the reach, you know what I mean? So and when we're in these Facebook groups, we're talking to people from all over the world, different cultures, different backgrounds with food. Different ways we consume food. People in America consume food very differently to people in, the, in some other countries. Australia and America are fairly similar, and, and Australia is catching up. Don't worry about that. Our obesity rates are really climbing. So yeah, that's that's the thing we're trying to battle here. But and we're just about out of time now. But if you wouldn't mind, before we go. Just give us some thoughts about if you're sitting in a cafe with some friends there in South Carolina, and a big hello to Gin there in South Carolina. She's just down the road yes. in Myrtle I Beach. I met her this
1: summer. I got yeah. to meet her this summer.
0: Wow, exciting. So, but if you wouldn't mind just sharing some uh, thoughts about how to get started with IF, what sort of words of wisdom would you give someone?
1: I would say read. Read, delay, don't deny first. I'm probably one of the few people that would say that. But I think because it's simple and it's an easy read and, any, and, she, and it's written so that anybody can get it. Um, and I would say take it slow and, and have fun with it. I think, I think that was the most important part was have fun with it. Don't make it so difficult that you're going to want to quit. Have fun with it. Be forgiving to yourself. Um, and find a support system. I think that's very important.
0: Fantastic advice. Well, Anne, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been to have you here on the fasting highway today. You're an absolute joy. And thank you for all the fabulous input you give to the group. Uh, It's much appreciated. And my warmest regards to everybody there and in South Carolina. But Anne, thank you for joining us here today.
1: Thank you, sir. And I hope to speak to you again soon.
0: Okay. Take care. Bye.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Anne. Really enjoyed that chat with you. And thank you for sharing your inspiring story with our listeners today here on the Fasting Highway. And I wish you every success in the future. And well done on maintaining there for some two and a half years after that shotgun started that weight loss rapidly over the first six months. And I think it goes to show you that it is a sustainable lifestyle, even if you do lose weight rather quickly in the beginning, or doesn't matter how slow you lose it, but we know that we can maintain it by living an intermittent fasting lifestyle long term, which becomes more flexible and intuitive as we go. But anyway, folks, also as mentioned in the podcast, if you want to come and join us in the Facebook group, uh, the Fasting Highway Facebook group, that is, uh, please do so. There's a big community there now of 8,000 people from all over the world. So feel free to come and join us. Also, if you want to get some insights and some information about what it's actually like to live an intermittent fasting lifestyle by someone who's done it, who knows what it takes, you can get that in my book, The Fasting Highway. You'll find that on Amazon in both paperback or Kindle. If you are in New Zealand or Australia, you can get it direct from me at my website, www.thefastinghighway.com. Anyway, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.